Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. C.S. Lewis wrote that in his famous book, Mere Christianity. Following Jesus and living out His grace means forgiving people that don't deserve it. Christians are supposed to be different. That's what Jesus is telling His disciples as He's preaching to them and teaching them what the kingdom of God is like. We're supposed to look different than the rest of the world, and this is how. Showing love to people who don't deserve it. Yes, this is tough stuff, and yes, it's exactly what Jesus calls us to. This is where the rubber of faith hits the road of living it out. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. I do think forgiveness is maybe the hardest thing about following Jesus. I think we would rather do a lot of things to avoid forgiving the people who've really hurt us. And I think if we were given the choice, we'd gladly say, I'll pray a lot, God. I'll I'll pray more, yes. Uh, I'll go to church lots. Uh, I'll do lots of Bible studies. I think we'd rather give a lot more money if it meant we could still hate the person who hurt us. And Jesus says, nope. This is how the world will know that you are different. When people mistreat you because of me, we learned that last week, on account of the Son of Man, people will mistreat you and you will love them back. You will forgive your enemies. So I want to talk a little bit up front this morning about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Because this has been helpful to me. But first, before we get there, I want you to think. Take a moment and think. Who in your life is the hardest person to forgive and show love to? Who is the person that uh, you're still working on it? Or maybe you, you haven't forgiven them, or you're working on it. What name comes to mind or what face appears when you think of who has hurt you badly and it's really hard to forgive them? Well, hold on to that for now. Just hold on to that. And I want to talk first about forgiveness. What is it and what isn't it? So I'll give you three brief thoughts on it. First is this. Forgiveness is a one-way street. It is a one-way street. God forgives you because of Jesus. One-way street. You did nothing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did it before you asked And then when you and I forgive other people, it's a one-way street. You forgive someone else. They don't have to ask for it. They don't even have to be sorry. They don't have to want to be forgiven. It's one way. You can forgive someone because God has forgiven you and you want to be like Jesus. And when you forgive someone else, you do two things. You set them free because you're extending the gospel to them, but you also set yourself free. You set yourself free in the process from your own pain and your own anger and your own bitterness that you want to hold on to that eventually you realize is holding you hostage. And the challenge is, is the person you are forgiving doesn't have to respond. They don't have to ask for it. 
And for some of us, that person might not even be alive anymore. But you can still forgive them and it will set you free. But when you don't forgive, it's like, famously said, it's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. It holds you hostage. Forgiveness sets you free. And it only takes one person. All the forgiveness for everything in the world has already been won by Jesus, and it's one way. And when you forgive other people, forgiveness is a one-way street. So that's the first thought. Second thought is this. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. In most cases, it does. Forgiveness brings reconciliation. It's the glue in our closest relationships, isn't it? We apologize when we've hurt each other, we forgive, and we're brought closer together, and that's the gospel, and it's the gospel working its way out in our relationships. But not always. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they are not the same thing. They're actually two steps. And so sometimes forgiveness does not mean reconciling. So if someone was abusive to you and you need to get away from that, you don't have to, forgiving them doesn't mean you walk back into that. Forgiving is one way. One way street, reconciliation would be the other part. You might not have that. So forgiving someone does not mean you have to let them back close to you so they can hurt you over again. No. So forgiveness and reconciliation, they are two different things. You can forgive your enemy, like Jesus says. You can love your enemy. You can want what's best for them, but not go near them. Forgiveness is one way. Reconciliation is the other way. And most often, God wants to reconcile us. You'll see uh, that in a video later this morning. But there are times, sometimes not. We are not called to be reconciled to everyone, but we are called to forgive everyone. And then here's the third Uh, Think about it. There are two kinds of forgiveness in the way we live it out. The first one is decisional, and then the second is emotional. Decisional and emotional. Sometimes you decide something to do something before your feelings and heart are following along. You can want to forgive someone, but your heart's not there yet. That's okay. You're on the right path. God works with that. When you've really been hurt or abused, the decision comes way before the emotions. You decide to forgive. You say, I will forgive you. And you mean it, but your heart's not there yet. That's fine. That's progress. And so you say it and you pray over and over again for God to help you that your emotional forgiveness follows. But there's often two kinds in our lives, decisional and then emotional forgiveness. You see, when the Holy Spirit calls you and me to faith, He calls us to a very, very different life. And He calls us to a life that is marked by loving even your enemies. Loving the last people on earth that you want to, because that is what God is like. When Jesus hangs on the cross, He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's the heart of God. He forgives people that don't even know the depth of their brokenness and sin and evil. And he forgives his enemies. He forgives his traitors. He forgives his murderers. That's what God is like. And God has shown that kind of mercy to you. God has forgiven you everything. God loves you no matter what. God has made you his friend at his own expense. 
And when you and I are transformed by God's unconditional grace, we become a person of grace who is willing to forgive. Now, I want you to listen again to Jesus' words that we read this morning. Because you'll notice, Jesus tells his disciples what to do, not what not to do. That means Christians are supposed to be known by what they do, what they are for, not what they're against. Too often Christians get known in the world by what they're against, but Jesus is telling them what to do, what to be for. Jesus says, love your enemies. He's telling them what to do. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs, do not demand it back. Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. And then verse 35, he says, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. In 1956, American missionaries were in Ecuador trying to make contact with the Waudani tribe who were known to be very violent and also had never had contact with the outside world or peaceful contact with the outside world. And then something went wrong and five men there were killed. They were speared to death and their bodies thrown in the river. Nate Saint was one of those men killed, leaving behind a wife and three young children. Rather than hate the killers, his wife led her children to pray for them, to forgive them, and pray that they might come to know Jesus. And over time, peaceful contact was made by wives and other, uh, other wives of the men killed, and then some of them even moved into the village to live with them. And one young boy, Nate's son, Steve Saint, who was about eight or nine at the time, went to live in the village. And God worked a miracle. Some Waodani came to believe in Jesus. Because they loved their enemies and forgave them, God used it to bring others to faith. Now, I'm going to show you in a, in a minute a video of Steve Saint, the little boy who's now grown up, and he is sitting next to the man who killed his father. And that man is now like a father to him and like a grandfather to his own children. Go ahead and watch. My dad was killed when I was just a little boy, and it was uh, with four of his friends, and it, it was a really violent um, killing. And people ask me all the time, you know, how I could forgive the people that killed my dad, including Grandfather Minkai, who I think was the one who finally did kill my dad. But, you know, I'm sure that they don't understand the perspective from which I saw it all. My dad and his four friends, Roger, Pete, Ed, and Jim, knew that they were risking their lives to try to contact this violent group that had never had friendly contact with the outside world. And then when it came right down to them being attacked, they had guns and they could have defended themselves, but they preferred to die rather than kill, even in self-defense. My aunt was living with a young girl from the Waodani tribe who had fled. My mom went on praying for the Waodani. And then Aunt Rachel went back in to live with these people for the very first time as outsiders. And my 
my aunt knew that there was a risk and I knew that there's a risk that she would be killed too. Well, by the time a year, year and a half later, when I got to go in and live with Aunt Rachel with these people who'd killed my dad, that isn't the way I saw them at all. I saw them as being the most special people in the whole world. I mean, why else would my dad have been willing to die for them, my mom go on praying for them, and my aunt risk her life for them? People think it's so amazing that I would forgive Minkai, but you know, in their culture, because he killed my family, it was my right and my responsibility when I grew up to kill him or his family. But when I went in to live in the jungles, I was just, oh, eight or nine, and I didn't have any of the skills that I needed to live in the jungles. And Minkai, I went to my Aunt Rachel and he, he said, what's wrong with, with Steve? They call me Baba down there. What's wrong with Baba? He doesn't know how to make poison for his darts, how to, how, he, does, he can't make darts, he doesn't know how to use a blowgun, he can't track animals. He said, he doesn't know anything. He said, who's gonna teach him how to live? And my aunt said, you having speared his father, who do you say should teach him to live? And he came back and he said, me having speared his father, now I say I myself will teach him to live. But you know, in doing that, because he had started walking a new trail, he had no idea, I was just a little boy, he had no idea whether I was gonna walk God's trail or whether I would use the skills that he was teaching me to come back and kill him. But he forgave me what he assumed I would grow up to do because he had begun walking this new trail. So really, if you look at it in the reality in which it took place, the forgiveness that he was willing to believe that I had given up my vendetta against him and then gave me the skills that I would need to carry it out if I didn't give it up, his was maybe the greater forgiveness than mine. When I was a teenager, my sister decided that she wanted to be baptized and my mom said, since you don't have a father of your own who's living, why don't you choose somebody who's had a positive spiritual impact in your life and I'll ask him to baptize you. Well, Kathy immediately chose Kimo, one of the men who had killed my dad and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim. And I thought, you know, look at these men here, Kimo and Dewey and Minkai. They're the same men who were here at this very place and killed my dad. And now here they are, they're spiritual leaders in our lives. And uh, I realized if we let God write the story, he doesn't always promise that all the chapters will be easy, but he does promise that in the last chapter, he will make sense of all the other things that have happened in our life, even though some of them are terribly painful. And I'm very, very thankful that he has. We have become, as grandfather says, we have become like just one family because we all have the same father. A long time ago, my, my grandfathers, they were very angry. They would die, they would die, they were angry, and they were killing each other. Pinte is the word for angry or furious. We would go and spear other people in our tribe and they would come and spear us. It was just like that. Now we're, we're 
not being angry. He said, now some of us who were enemies, who were hating and furious with each other, now we've become like one, like, like one head, like one family. That's what I have to say. Do you understand me? Okay. People have been able, in this story, to identify with my loss, but what they can't seem to identify with is how I and my family, how we experienced gain. You know, when my dad was killed and I was a little boy, I can still remember that sense of anguish, disenfranchisement. I mean, my whole little boy universe revolved around my dad. I wanted to grow up and be just like him. He was my hero. When my mom told me that he was never coming back, I mean, it shattered my whole world. I thought there was nothing left to live for. Do you know what? Just a short while ago, when Christmas was coming and grandfather came up to our house, I saw him with my three, three of my granddaughters. He was holding one who was asleep in his arms and the other two were draped over his shoulders. And that night as Jenny and I were going to bed, grandfather had already gone to sleep and Jenny said, just want to go in and kiss him once more, don't you? And you know, then I realized that same yearning that I had for my father, I now feel for grandfather Minkai, the man who killed him. That's something that doesn't happen in, in fiction. That can only happen in true life. Kai went on to say, that only happens with the gospel of Jesus. He said, what is it that motivates a murderer to accept the little boy and say, I will raise you as my son? And what motivates the little boy to have that same man baptize him in the river? He said, there's only one thing that can explain that kind of love. It's the love of God and the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. Love your enemies. Forgive those who don't deserve it. See how much God has forgiven you and show that to others. And perhaps the best witness we'll have is, as Christians is when we forgive others, especially those who don't deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.